The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hey folks, this is the Lakers Legacy Podcast, and we are proud to announce a partnership collaboration with a brand new podcast app. If you're looking for a new way to listen to podcasts that's a lot more interactive and fun, well, look no further than the cooler podcast player on the Apple Store. The app that makes sure you never miss the hottest sports talk by the cooler with like-minded fans and listeners of the same community. So download the Cooler Podcast Player on the Apple Store, search for your favorite podcast, specifically look up the Lakers Legacy Podcast, we are up there right now, subscribe to our Cooler page, click on one of our episodes, listen away, and then join the conversation by commenting away down below on each episode. Add some emojis, like the cringe emoji, because I know that I can be quite cringe. Ask us questions about specific points we made throughout a specific episode. The Cooler Podcast Player is essentially like Reddit, but curated and consolidated per podcast community so that you can join the conversation in a safer, more intimate, and less trolly space than other apps like X. And you can do so with other like-minded Lakers Legacy Podcast listeners. Also, you're likely to find one of us commenting and replying back to you guys directly within each episode feed in the comments section. So grab a drink, make your way over to the cooler, and join the conversation now by downloading the Cooler Podcast Player app. Make sure to add the Lakers legacy to your queue, and let's keep the debates and discussions going beyond the final sign-offs you hear from us at the end of each episode. The Cooler Podcast Player. Listen, then speak your mind. All right, welcome everybody to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where on a day when the latest legendary statue was erected on Figueroa Street right outside Staples Center slash Crypto.com Arena, celebrating a man who never gave a damn about how many shots he took or how difficult a shot was. Ironically, on that same day, it was the Lakers front office who pump faked and didn't take their shot. But maybe it actually made sense. Maybe not. I don't know. We'll get into it. All that to say, Mamba forever, rest in power, Kobe Bean Bryant. 
I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and I'm joined by my co-host, Tommy Alexander. Tommy, how did you like my little soliloquy? Uh, people don't get to see the video, but you do. I even had like motions and everything. It was almost like watching Hamilton, right? It was like watching Hamilton. That was. I was actually thinking, is he going to throw in? I'm not going to. I'm not going to throw away my shot. Like one of these references or what's happening here? Yeah, I spared you from that. But yeah, uh, I'm glad you enjoyed it, uh, Tommy. Before we get into hi, by the way, welcome to the show. Um, hey, thanks. Before we get into all of the NBA trade deadline hoopla or non hoopla for the Lakers and recapping all of that minutia. Uh, were you able to catch any of the replays of the Kobe statue ceremony yesterday at all? Uh, if so, what did you think about it? And then as it pertains to the actual statue, was it the pose that you had in mind? We learned from Vanessa Bryant that Kobe would actually be getting three statues, two of which have yet to be built or unveiled. One of those yet to be unveiled statues would be one of him and Gigi, which is very fitting. And then one will be of him wearing number 24. But yesterday they unveiled the number eight Kobe statue of him scoring 81 points, him with his finger raised to the sky to the crowd after he checked out and absolutely destroyed Jalen Rose. It was actually one of my predictions. Uh, I think we, me and my friends were chatting beforehand and we had a couple of predictions. One was Kobe after winning the championship against the Celtics at Staples where he jumps onto the uh, scorer's table and then has his arms open wide to the, the crowd. That could potentially be the number 24 statue. Um, another one was another one of my friends predicted that maybe it would be Kobe Bryant flapping his jersey around after he hit that game winner that, against that was the, my, uh, the Phoenix Suns. Against the Suns, yeah, that was my predi- prediction actually. Okay, okay, nice. So you answered that. Um, but did you like did you like the the pointing to the sky with his finger, having scored 81 points, which to this day is still the highest point total that has been filmed on camera for the NBA? Yeah, I, 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 I like the statue. I thought it was nice. I thought it was also, um, it's obviously like one of the biggest moments of his career. I also really like that Vanessa just came out and said, like, he chose this, so everybody F off, like, if you have a problem with it, because, you know, the second, like, it comes out on Twitter, there's a thousand people saying, like, this is a weak pose to choose, like, because they didn't watch the ceremony, right? And that's exactly what she was trying to, like, kind of prevent against. It's like, this is their thing, let them have whatever they want. This is, like, not random, you know, middle-aged men on Twitter to to be uh, complaining about. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I mean, when you do look at it, it does look kind of weird because anytime you're freeze framing a man mid walk, it's going to look weird. You know, yeah. uh, people were making comments, but oh, the proportions seem off or whatever. And every time they'd say that or like reply to my Instagram post, I'd be like, yeah, well, Kobe chose the pose. So I don't know. <laughs> Give it up to him. Um, but yeah, no, I, I like the, the, the pose as well. And for obviously everything that it stood for and meant biggest moment of his number eight career outside of winning championships, obviously. And um, that was without Shaq as well. I think that was like post Shaq era Kobe number eight trying to find his way. He scores 81 points on the night where I think that was the one and only game that his grandma went to and watched him play in person. So there's that added significance as well. But yeah, with regards to the ceremony, it was kind of like anytime they do these things where like former Lakers come, like Pau Gasol, Lamar Odom, Ron Artest, Sasha Vujicic, and anytime Phil Jackson speaks, I'm, I'm immediately transported back to when I was in middle school, high school, watching these games, right? So it's almost like a time machine, time capsule moment. And I forgot just how 
just what a great speaker Phil Jackson is and what a great storyteller he is. I, I mentioned it on Twitter, but when he was re- relaying all of these Kobe stories, which were so detailed, I was just like, man, I could watch like a 12-part Phil Jackson podcast series just talking about his time with Kobe Bryant because from Phil Jackson's end, it, you can tell it's like he mentioned it himself. His his relationship with Kobe wasn't always, I mean, it, it's never been uh, flowery, you know? So he's, he's very real about his relationship with Kobe. But even in spite of that, the way he's able to describe who Kobe was, was, was kind of really inspiring and, and very insightful. And, you know, that last story he gave about how he's been tracking Kobe his entire career, you know, his growth as a human being, his growth as a, as a team leader, as a player, and for him to come full circle and talk about how the moment that he was most proud of Kobe was when Kobe stood up for Adam Morrison on Jimmy Kimmel. Like, it's such a funny moment to bring up and such an obscure player to bring up to make that point. But I think because of that, it made it all the more powerful when Phil Jackson said, and that's when I was most proud of Kobe. So any thoughts on on that and maybe the, the rest of the Kobe ceremony? Yeah, it was a nice ceremony. Um, the Phil stories were obviously really cool. Phil is like so old now, man. It's like crazy. <laughs> uh, but it, I it's thought funny he was because... more senile than he let on. But <laughs> go ahead. Yeah, he like uh, always has kind of looked like this. So it's like you kind of forget. But hearing hearing him talk, it like it's like oh, sh-, you know, it's like decades have passed since he like first became the coach, right? So the Lakers. So. Uh, yeah, the stories were great. I thought I really liked the Adam Morrison story. It, it is funny. It's like the media and fans, even um, especially younger fans, have this like tendency to like clown on these end of the bench guys. I don't know why. It's just like people think it's funny, and it's like okay, cool. You're like you're not. You're like the three hundredth best player of basketball in the entire world. Um, that's like funny. Let's like let's let's like make fun of that, right? But but. Uh, I thought the story was good and and um it kind of drove home the the maturity of Kobe over like the course of uh uh Phil's time coaching him, right? Like mm-hmm. 21-year-old Kobe when Phil first came in in 1999 like probably was not, you know, if you put a mic in front of him and asked about like one of his teammates at the end of the bench like and asked what he thought about him, I don't know that he would have said something like that. So it's it shows the growth and and um, part of what made Kobe so endearing to to fans who followed his whole career. Yeah, definitely. So we kind of got Kobe encapsulated all in that ceremony and can't wait to see what the number 24 statue looks like. Do you have any predictions of what they're going to choose? Is it going to be him up on the scorer's table or him doing a fadeaway jump shot? My my guess is either the fadeaway jump shot or when when he hit the game winner against the Suns was he already twenty four at that point or was he still eight? He was still eight. Yeah. Okay. So I would go fadeaway jump shot. I think. Okay. Yeah, that makes that makes the most sense. But I wouldn't be surprised if they also did his arms stretched out wide. But they're already they already did a non basketball move pose with the number eight statue. So yeah, maybe number twenty four signature Kobe fadeaway is the move there. All right. With that said, trade deadline, Tommy. Um, The Lakers did nothing. But there were actually a lot of moves that happened that last day after two pretty quiet days to start the week, surprisingly. But look, let me just lay out the landscape for you and you can jump in here in a little bit, Tommy. But 
a lot of the Lakers' big major targets that they were rumored to have been trying to get, DeJounte Murray, Bruce Brown, Dorian Finney-Smith, Colin Sexton, I can go right down the line. None of those players got moved, first of all, okay? Yeah. So there's that. And then, and, and I'll just say this, if you're a fan who's frustrated at the Lakers' front office in action, I think you're totally justified in being frustrated. I think just on the surface, knowing the, the needs of this team, for the front office to not do anything, not even like a minor move, it just, I mean, it just objectively looks bad. Would you agree with me? I don't necessarily agree, but I'll let, I'll let you Okay, continue. okay. You can, you, I, I'll empathize with the fans first. I'll say it, it just looks bad, you know, for let's say, let's say LeBron James has no idea about the cap specifics and the constraints you're working with. For the average fan who doesn't know those constraints either, it just looks bad that you did nothing, right? What does that say? Now, digging into the specifics of this particular trade deadline, though, and you you know, you and I had had a text exchange back and forth right after where you kind of predicted this, right? In our last podcast episode, our precursor trade deadline episode, you said, I don't think they're going to do anything. I think that they're going to go to the buyout market and... I also think if there if they did anything, it would be like a small like second round pick type of move, right? And you were right. And even then, like right after the trade deadline ended, I still texted you, man, but we still should have made a margin move with like these second round picks, you know? Like we could have gotten like a Nick Richards or something like that. And that was me still in my heated phase of like, man, I wish this front office was more creative. And I think they can always be more creative. And so I'm kind of talking myself in circles. But the one thing I'll say is if you're frustrated with the front office, that's one thing. But I think a lot of fans today, and I think they're starting to realize this, but I think fans are are mad, but mad at the wrong things. Because in in a vacuum, if we're looking at this trade deadline in a vacuum, what Rob Palenka has said to the media is 100% true, whether you want to believe it or not. There was not a lot of things the Lakers could do given the constraints they were working with and given the market. And I will outline the market to you in just a second. If you want to get mad at the front office, get mad at them for stuff that they did in the offseason that led to this point. But do not get mad that they were somehow unable to make a move this trade deadline because as Tommy already kind of predicted, the writing was on the wall for them to not do much unless they were able to get like a DeJounte Murray on the cheap, you know, which clearly they weren't able to get because the Hawks were sort of playing the Lakers in some ways. But this is the reality of this trade deadline, Tommy, and something that I realized after the fact when I was telling you, well, they still should have made a margin move with those seconds. And then when I asked myself, okay, but which salary was going out for those seconds. Right. Then I started to go down the line of, well, Torian Prince. And then you go through the rigmarole of debating with yourself like, okay, Torian Prince, yes, but how easily is Torian Prince going to be relinquished if he's Darvin Ham's favorite player, right? So I was like, okay, okay, maybe not Torian Prince, but like Jackson Hayes and Christian Wood, you can put them two together. And then I forgot, I remembered, they have player options next year. Cam Reddish has a player option next year. These are not true expirings. And then I was like, uh, well, Gabe Vincent, he makes like $10 million. 
Yeah, Gabe Vincent is on for two more years after this one. And then I started looking at who got traded, the entire trade deadline. And the one thing that was made very apparent to me, Tommy, is that expirings were the currency of exchange. And actually, they always have been, kind of. Right. Expirings and seconds were the currency of exchange this trade deadline. The Lakers had seconds. Yes, they had five seconds they could use. What they did not have were expirings. D'Angelo Russell, Jackson Hayes, Christian Wood, Cam Reddish all have player options for next year. And teams, especially in this new CBA, are so reluctant to have any salary, even if it's minimum salary, go on their books for the next year because, one, they may already be near the second apron or the first apron, you know? So having a Christian Wood next year for $3 million already pushes them there. They don't want that, you know? And they can't be guaranteed that these players won't pick up their player options. So I guess for me, I even had to take a step back from my initial gripes of like, why didn't they make a margin move with second round picks? And I had to realize for myself, like, I underestimated just how reluctant teams were to take back any salary that extended past this year. And if they did, Tommy, they wanted draft compensation. For example, the Dallas Mavericks traded Rashawn Holmes, who's on for two more years, to the Washington Wizards. And the Washington Wizards gave them Daniel Gafford. Guess what? The Dallas Mavericks had to give them a first-round pick in order to take on Rashawn Holmes. Yeah, which you is know? crazy. So, and so really quickly before you go, look, this is, these are the deals, this, this, uh, the major deals that happened yesterday. Buddy Heald was acquired for four seconds and expirings, expirings that equaled $18 million of Buddy Heald's salary. Royce O'Neal, who, who a lot of fans were like, well, the Lakers should have gotten Royce O'Neal. He's only making $9 million. Royce O'Neal went for three seconds and four expiring players on the Suns, okay? The Lakers do not even have enough expirings to equal Royce O'Neal. Torian Prince plus Max Christie, the only other expiring player, only gets you a player who's making $6 million, okay? We couldn't have even gotten Royce O'Neal if we wanted to if the Nets said we don't want any non-expiring contracts, okay? Kelly Olynyk went for one first, which is insane, and expirings. Alec Burks and Bojan Bogdanovic, who the Knicks shrewdly traded for, they went for seconds, and guess what? Expirings. Xavier Tillman, who Lakers fans like freaked out about and said, oh, this sets the market. We can definitely get a, a, a Xavier Tillman-type player. Xavier Tillman, who the Celtics traded for, they gave up two seconds for Xavier Tillman. Guess what the Memphis Grizzlies got back for Xavier Tillman? They got back nothing because the Celtics took Xavier Tillman into their traded player exception. So it's, it's, it's essentially... It's essentially an expiring. All that to say, a lot of the, the major moves that happened this trade deadline where teams were giving up seconds for these margin players, those teams had to have the expirings that the other team wanted and the Lakers did not have those expirings. Even if you go back to last year, Tommy, when the Lakers traded for Rui Hachimura, because this is an argument people have been making. Well, why don't the Lakers just do what they did last year? Trade for like a Rui Hachimura. Trade some seconds for Mo Bamba. Guess what? Rui, the Lakers traded Kendrick Nunn in three seconds for Rui. Guess what Kendrick Nunn was? He was an expiring. The Lakers traded Pat Bev in a second for Mo Bamba. Guess what Pat Bev was? He was a $13 million expiring player. And so, again, I say, I say all that to say, 
If you want to get mad at Rob, fine, but don't get mad at him for not being able to make a deal this trade deadline because it's increasingly, we're getting to the point, Tommy, where people just wanted to make a deal to make a deal and we're going towards like insane levels of just bad asset management just because we're so mad that nothing happened when in reality, if you want to get mad at Rob, get mad at him for not picking up Malik Beasley's $16 million team option for not picking up Mo Bamba's $10 million non-guaranteed contract, then we would have had the expirings to attach seconds to. But he didn't do that in the offseason. And so he was left with very limited resources to make any trades this this trade deadline. And that's why I say I think fans are, are mad at the wrong things and mad at the wrong reasons. Uh, so that's where we're, we're at now. And so did you want to touch upon anything I said and just elaborate on anything more? Yeah, I think, I mean, I pretty much agree with everything you said, and, and we've talked about this like fairly extensively offline, but I think the key is is what you said, right? It's it's the expiring contracts. We have $6.2 million, and, and it's, by the way, $6.2 million in expiring between two guys who have been fairly important rotation players for us, right? Like we clown on Torian Prince. And Max and Christie, is that what you're talking about? Yeah, Max Christie and Torian Prince, right? Um, so we cl- we clown on uh, Torian Prince. There are not many guys on four point five million dollar expiring contracts who can give us the kind of output he's given us. We just play him too much, right? That's like what we've always said is is our problem. There, Max Christie is a twenty year old. He's not even twenty one years old yet. Has shown a ton of two way player up like role player upside. So what are we getting for that $6.2 million in expiring? Plus, we would have to probably attach other assets to that, right? Like second-round picks at least. What 6.2-ish, right? Because you could take back a little more. So maybe $7 million. What 7-ish million-dollar player are we getting back for that package that moves the needle? Factoring in that, like, we're dropping Torian, who has been playing 30 minutes for us, you know, per game. We're dropping, Cam- uh, excuse me, Max Christie, uh, who's who's, you know played a significant role, especially with the injuries. Like, you're not getting anything back. I think, you know, the thing that I talked to you about was maybe it was a function this year of of me not being as in the weeds as I normally am with this trade stuff. Like, I was really busy. Normally, I feel like the three weeks leading into the trade deadline are, like, such a slog for me. This year, it just sort of, like, snuck up out of of, of nowhere. Um, But, like, the... None of the rumors or or whatever ever felt like real to me. Like the DeJounte Murray thing always felt like, yeah, okay, that totally makes sense that the Lakers are going to commit to a guy who's guaranteed $100 million remaining on his contract, who's like, you know, to the extent he's better than D'Angelo, we can, it, it, we're not talking about like significant like needle moving differences. Like we're not talking about like, One's an all-star perennially and one isn't. If anything, D'Angelo has been an all-star, right? So it's like, we're going to, you're telling me like, we're going to give up first round draft picks plus D'Angelo Russell. It's just like, it doesn't really make sense, you know? So I guess like that, none of that made sense. You look up and down the roster, like you're not trading LeBron. You're not trading AD. Uh, Jared Vanderbilt can't be traded this year. You've like it's been very widely reported that they felt like they weren't going to get enough back for Austin. Gabe Vincent has unfortunately be, been injured and has like negative trade value with with two more guaranteed years remaining on his deal. 
like Jalen Hood Shafino seems like a bust as a first round pick. So it, you know, at least for now, right? I'm not saying he is going to be a bust. I'm just saying like it's not like he is jumping off the page as like a very like you know, clearly good asset for you. There's just like, you go up and down the roster and it just like, nothing really makes sense. You mentioned all the minimum guys we signed, like all of those, all three of those guys have, uh, you know, Wood, Hayes and Reddish all have player options, as you said. So what combination of players? It's like the one thing that kind of made sense to me is if they were like, you know, let's dump Gabe and Jalen Hutchifino to get under the tax. If anything, shouldn't fans be saying like, I'm glad they didn't do something like that. Like that shows that mm-hmm. they are serious about winning. And, and in fact, like as the reports have come out today, like about how the Lakers didn't drop a minimum player to try to get below the tax line, which they could have done. The rationale for that was they didn't want to weaken the roster just to save some money, you know? So, and yeah. I, I think that is like a noble thing that we can point to. We could have burned our 20, 20- 23 very brand new number 17 first round pick we're not talking about a late 20s pick we're talking about like our middle almost lottery first round pick we could have burned that in like a D-Lo Mozgov type of trade to like try to dump Gabe Vincent on someone else and we didn't do that you know so I think like you can the same way that people are like oh they it's embarrassing they didn't do anything. Like, I, I don't understand what that means. There's not a single player that moved yesterday that moves the needle for us, or is even better. Nobody that moved yesterday is better than D'Angelo Russell, Rui Hachimura, or Austin Reeves. Okay, yeah. and the guys who are pretty good, who moved, who could help us, Kelly Olenek, PJ Washington, those are the two names that I, I saw yesterday, and I thought to myself, those guys could have helped us. Both of those trades involve first-round picks. The P.J. Washington trade involves a top-two protected first-round pick for P.J. Washington. So that was like the market this year. There was not a a realistic market. And and the fact that we didn't do anything is just better, almost. You know what I mean? Like, like when you see what happened and and who moved around. Like, if if there was a trade you could point me to, even the Buddy Heald, right? Oh, we've wanted Buddy Heald for so long. Oh, he only moved for three second-round picks. Buddy Heald would have required Rui Hachimura <laughs> to, to, like... And, and by the way, he's not... And by the way, that's not even expiring. That's just to, like, match the salary. You know what okay, I mean? That, so, that, that's my point, though. I think we also learned that Rui Hachimura was not an attractive asset to the league. You know, he has $17 million for the next two years after this one. And so even if we were willing to give up Rui Hachimura, the Pacers wanted an expiring, you know? That's why I'm saying if, if, if let's say Rob Palenka had had Malik Beasley on his $16 million expiring contract, then maybe we would have been able to get Buddy Heald. But you know it wouldn't have just cost us three seconds. It would have cost us four seconds or like a, light, a lightly protected or maybe first round lotto protected 2029 first, right? So... Yeah, I mean, and, and look, it, and without going too far down the rabbit hole, maybe it could have been the three seconds. But again, we can't like we we can't keep relitigating the past decisions. Like at the time, dropping Malik Beasley and dropping Mo Bamba to like be able to sign Gabe Vincent and hard cap ourselves, like that made sense. Beasley was unplayable for us in the playoffs. Bamba obviously didn't really play. You know, you figure Bomba you can replace with a minimum type of guy, and he himself ended up signing for a minimum contract, right? And then Beasley, we also felt like was significantly worse than what Gabe Vincent could bring to us. It was a justifiable move at the time, right? And 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 it so was. like, 
that's the thing. It's like for so many years, we've only had expiring contracts. And and I think that's like maybe what's confusing people and causing people to be like, well, how come we don't have the, the right expiring contracts? No, that wasn't the point of this team. The whole point of this team was we're building a continuous roster to move forward with salaries that have some years attached to them with, you know, young guys, D'Angelo, or excuse me, Rui, Austin, um, who we wanted to keep like long-term Vando, like we viewed as part of our like young core, right. Who we wanted to keep and develop and, and, you know, have on our team moving into the future. So it just like, that is the trade-off, you know, you can't Can I... have it. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, I want to push back on that a little bit. I think this is very hindsight is twenty twenty, right? But I think in, in in that hindsight is twenty twenty perspective, would you agree with me though that I think the Lakers front office has maybe learned something in the last year or so? Because yes, Malik Beasley wouldn't have done anything for us. Yes, Mo Bamba wouldn't have done anything for us. But there were actually some very smart people during that off season. I was speaking to Yazi Goslin, and at the time he wasn't thrilled with what the Lakers did because he actually advocated for just picking up those options because he said. The Lakers will be able to do more at the trade deadline with these expirings than they will these other players who you expect to be rotation players and who you might have to ship out if you want to trade if other teams even want those players in the first place. And I was like, well, can't we dangle Rui Hachimura on a pretty solid three-year deal? And he's like... I don't know, you know? So I want to give credit to those types of people who got out yeah, ahead no, of I, it. And, and, and I just want to say, though, like I think the Lakers can learn something from this because if you look at the New York Knicks, they have had an Evan Fournier who has done nothing and has just been sitting in street clothes there for the longest while, for the last two years, for the sole purpose of just being the salary ballast that they could trade off. And now we see the shrewd parts of that where they had a combo of both, Tommy. They had a combo of multi-year deals, but they also had a combo of the necessary expiring deals for when the opportunity struck, all of a sudden, all you have to trade is Evan Fournier, a couple of seconds, the Knicks did not trade any first, and you get Alec Burks and Bojan Bogdanovic, you know? So I think my, yeah, my but- only pushback is like, I think in hindsight, the Lakers should have done that. And I think moving forward, they should take take note of that and at least make sure that they have more expirings on their books. So that these are fair points, but everything has to be viewed within just the reality of this, the nature of how contracts work, right? And how much teams are willing to pay. Like we don't have an infinite pocketbook. The Knicks put themselves in a great position. It took them three years to get into that position, right? They've had Evan Fournier for two years. They were waiting this whole time. So it's like, had we just been waiting with some guy burning 20 million in our cap space for the last three years and we didn't move him, it took this long. Maybe people would be frustrated too. Obviously the payoff is good. But you can't forget the amount of time that it took to get here. I also, you know, would flag that the Knicks' top two players make barely combined, make barely more than LeBron James by himself. So that that changes the dynamics of like what you're able to do with your roster, right? It's like you add, you keep Malik Beasley and Mo Bamba. Yeah, of course, everybody knew. It's like unremarkable. Like everybody knew those guys were expiring contracts and those expiring contracts have some value. But, you know, it. what's realistic 
is do you do you would it be like I guess what kind of message does it send in the off season to come into the season with two guys being like we know we're going to try our best to trade these guys for five months they are going to take up two roster spots and twenty plus million dollars of salary and they're basically not going to be able to do anything for our team and we're holding them for the chance that we're able to make something happen by the trade deadline it, it, it just like that is one way to kind of characterize that line of you know thinking versus like well we're probably not going to use these guys if we drop both of them we can get an impact free agent again like a Gabe Vincent who it's it's unfortunate that it hasn't worked out for him with his injury but that's what we were doing we were trying to win now and I don't think that's like something that yeah of course we could say like at the time people said that's expiring contract yeah they of course it was an expiring contract but there are other factors here um, that you can't ignore. And and I don't know that we were going to, you know, Jeannie was going to be, or, or the front office was going to be okay going into the season. You know, we already came in at 166 million. The Knicks came in at 160 million. They were already lower than us. If we had kept Beasley and Bamba, we, you know, in, in lieu of Gabe, add, we would have been over 180. You know what I mean? And you're paying crazy, like, Warriors-level, like, luxury tax to keep Malik Beasley and Mo Bamba. So it's just, like, these are all things that are technically true, but it's just, like, it's a totality of circumstances, right? You have to kind of weigh every factor, and I just think it was very defensible to end up in the position that they ended up in. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, that is the summary point that I wanted to throw out there. In this vacuum of the trade deadline, it made sense. Everything Rob Palenka... Everything Rob Palenka has said thus far is not bullshit. And I want to just be clear, Tommy, you and I are not Rob Palenka apologists. We once were, but over the years, especially during the Russell S- during the Russell Westbrook era, if anybody tuned in during those last two years, we are not Rob Palenka stands. We do not carry water for this front office. In fact, there are a lot of problems with this front office, including I don't think they're very creative, you know? I don't think they do well on the margins. But again, given the constraints they were working with in this market, given the constraints of the path that they chose, whether you agree with it or not in the offseason, they really could not do anything. And so when Rob Palenka says, you can't buy a house if there's no sellers, he is correct because nobody wanted what the Lakers had to offer. And the one thing that teams wanted, Tommy, the Lakers weren't willing to give up. Austin Reeves. We can debate that as well if we want to, but I don't want to. But so if you want to be mad that the Lakers didn't do anything, then be mad that they weren't willing to give up Austin Reeves. Is that the stance you want to take? I don't know. Maybe it is if you wanted to trade Austin Reeves for DeJounte Murray or whatever. Um, But yeah, just to clear that up, we're, we're we're not saying that we're not making excuses for the front office. For once, we're just clearing the air and saying, this is just the situation and it is what it is. And some fans, because they're so frustrated and mad, are starting to take that to galaxy brain levels of throwing out deals that didn't make any sense for the Lakers. That So for example, Tommy, fans were like, well, they could have done something. They could have just gotten Royce O'Neal and Dorian Finney-Smith. Even if they, if if the Nets didn't want Gabe Vincent, the Nets wanted D'Angelo Russell. So we could have traded D'Angelo Russell in a 2029 first for Royce O'Neal yeah. and Dorian Finney-Smith. God damn it! And I'm like, first of all, <laughs> that's that's assuming that the Nets really wanted D'Angelo Russell. 
Second of all, that doesn't help our team now. <laughs> like, I don't think that trade-off makes any sense to get two more Torian Princes and then trade away your third best player because I think fans are so focused, Tommy, on this is terrible asset management. We're just going to let D'Angelo Russell walk out of here, Tommy, and not get anything for him. And for me, I'm like, I would rather D'Angelo Russell walk and use him for the next three months, not get anything out of him, and not give up the 2029 first. You know what I mean? I don't want to have to watch Dorian Finney-Smith and Royce O'Neal clank the hell out of Crypto.com Arena for the next two months, you know? So, any anything else to add? Yeah, I, I, it, th- these are the types of things that just make it embarrassing to become to be a Laker fan, right? It's like, the, these are the types of trades I was kind of alluding to, like, that doesn't move the needle. You do that kind of trade and the Nets just laugh their asses off because now they get D'Lo, who's already coming in, right, on a kind of cost-controlled contract in the sense of it's setting the base for his next contract and you have his bird rights and he's entering, like, the kind of prime of his career. He's, like, 27, 28 years old, right? So it's, like, you get that for two like wings that are you know widely overvalued in the marketplace and like what are you going to do with those wings right so it's like great now you have like less minutes for Rui Hachimura and Jared Vanderbilt who you've like committed to long term and it's like you could say those guys are injured but I, I these are the kinds of examples of people wanting to make moves just to make moves like yep there was again. There was not a player who moved yesterday who was as good as D'Angelo Russell. And if there was, that player would have cost at least one first round pick. Because yes. if Kelly Olynyk and PJ Washington are getting you first round picks, D'Angelo Russell can get you a first round pick. Yeah, I think the problem too, Tommy, and I and I fall victim to this as well. Like, you know, you you know me. We talk a lot about Moneyball players and working the margins. And as much as I love for the Lakers to play ultimate Moneyball and trade Torian Prince in a second for Jalen McDaniels on the Raptors or Chuma Okeke on the Magic. As much as I'd love for that to happen, this isn't NBA 2K. This isn't yeah. fantasy basketball. And the Lakers are never going to do that. Prince, Torian Prince is a vet. And McDaniels and Okiki, while you can argue that they have more talent and potential, this is a win-now team. These are yeah. Those are unknown guys, and the Lakers don't have time to integrate those types of guys onto this team. Torian you know? has played 50 games for us this year. <laughs> right, like, right. These are so, things that you can't yeah. ignore this kind of stuff. You know? Yeah, and even if I wanted Nick Richards, again, Nick Rich, we, we could have traded Torian Prince and some seconds for Nick Richards. Again, you're trading for a big man who, who while he could have definitely helped, again, you have to, to think about the swap of... Here is a legitimate starter, whether you want to agree with that or not, that notion or not. Here's a legitimate starter, and now you're going to bring in a center who may only play 15 minutes, and you're reshuffling the entire operation again. You know, like, is it worth it to give up Torian Prince and two seconds for Nick Richards at this juncture of the season when you're trying to actually finally pick up some steam and momentum for the second half, right? So in that respect, no deal is better than making a bad deal. That's where we stand, okay? That does not mean we're making excuses for the front office at all. So why don't we take it to break? When we, close, when, we, when we return, let's close it out and maybe talk about some buyout, guys. So with that said, we will catch you guys after the turn. 
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, so we are back. Before we get to the buyout, guys, Tommy, I had touched upon these two teams at the top of the episode, but I want to bring them up as two examples of the different types of approaches that I feel like they they represent two camps for Lakers fans of which direction they wanted the Lakers to go in this trade deadline. The first camp is what the New York Knicks did. Would you agree with me that the New York Knicks are one of the winners of this trade deadline not having to give up a first, they were able to just, well, one, they made the OG Ananubi trade to start off the trade deadline a couple weeks ago. But as it pertains to this this past week, they only gave up seconds in order to bring in Bojan Bogdanovich and Alec Brooks. Would you agree that that was a shrewd move? Yes. Okay, so very smart move. The Knicks were operating, they were operating at 3D or 4D chess levels yesterday. Now, the other approach, Tommy, is the Dallas Mavericks. So would you agree with me that the Dallas Mavericks, in a vacuum in the today and now, improved their roster? I agree that they improved their roster. Okay, I agree too, because they got P.J. Washington, Grant Williams was giving them nothing, and apparently he was a headache in the locker room, and they also bolstered their center depth by getting Daniel Gafford. So now they have two Derek Livelys, and so they improved their roster for sure. The problem is the Dallas Mavericks have already burnt through so much of their draft capital even before making those two moves. And then they traded an additional first to get P.J. Washington. They traded another first to get Daniel Gafford. I think they did some weird pick swap thing to change some swaps with OKC Thunder to make things work. All that to say is the Dallas Mavericks mortgaged their future for this team right now in order yeah. to get Daniel Gafford and P.J. Washington, who, again, I don't know what they're going to do for the rest of the season. Maybe I'm going to eat my words, and maybe it'll be worth it, and they are a top three seed, and they make it to the Western Conference Finals. That is a possibility. What is also a possibility is they get to the sixth seed, and they lose in the second round, and they're stuck with this iteration, <laughs> this roster iteration around Luka for the next two years that Luca's under contract, right? And they don't have any other assets with which to move their roster around and be flexible. Would you agree with me that a lot of fans seem to want to, seem to fall into do what the Mavericks did camp? It feels like a lot of our fans want us to do what the Mavericks did, which is, it's crazy when you like list it out like that, right? It is, but... I guess if you want to like play devil's advocate, do you blame them if they're taking the stand, the perspective of, well, you're on a LeBron James win now, win now 
team and, and timeline right now. Like, wouldn't you want to do everything you possibly could for LeBron James now while him and Anthony Davis are healthy, just the way that Mark Cuban knows that he may only have the next two years left with Luka Doncic, so he has to pull out all the stops? I mean, you you in a vacuum, you would agree with that type of mindset, right? There's limits to everything, I would say. Sure. So I guess, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a fair perspective to take. But when you actually lay out everything that the Lakers would have had to give up and people are starting to like devalue the 2029 first to such insane levels and treat it like nothing just for the sake of making a move. And I, I want to tell you that, yes, what the Dallas Mavericks did in this trade deadline may look shiny. It may look cool. It improves them now. That's all you want. You're not caring about next season because we all could be gone by next season in some crazy zombie apocalypse, yada, yada, yada. But it's just not smart asset management. And these are the types of things that we're going to hammer Rob for in the future, you know, when we don't have these assets, you know. I understand if people are tired of hearing the kicking the can down the road type of plan of trying to get this superstar, that superstar. I honestly think that's just front office spin. And they're just saying that to keep the casual fans at bay. Outside of trying to get a next superstar, Tommy... I want three first-round picks just so that we can be flexible with this roster. You yeah. saw what Rob was able to do with one first-round pick. He was able to offload Russell Westbrook. And by the way, Russell Westbrook is another example of, guess what he was last season? He was an expiring contract. But yes, Rob Polinka was able to use one first-round pick to not only get off Russell Westbrook, but get three rotation players back, you know? So even if we're not talking about saving those three picks that we can avail of in the summer for a superstar, I just want to be able to have three picks so that we can maybe use two first-round picks for an all-star and then use the other first-round pick for some additional role players. You know, it's it's not all about the superstar here, even though I know that's what's being sold to the public. So I just want people to take a step back. I, a lot of people are un, unhinged right now, and I understand emotions are high. They did nothing. Ah! But then when, when you actually take a step back and, and look at the situation for what it is, you realize, oh, I can't actually give you like a list of five players the Lakers could have traded for, you know, with seconds yesterday. That makes sense. So that's the trade deadline. Tommy, let's move on to the buyout market and... One of the reasons why, or one of the reasons that go in favor of your point of the Lakers not re-upping Malik Beasley and, and Mo Bamba is the fact that that would have pushed the Lakers past the first apron into the second apron. And in the new CBA, if you're in the second apron, there are huge restrictions on what you can do trade-wise, but also buyout market-wise. So for example, if you're a second apron team, on the buyout market, you cannot sign anyone who was bought out who was making more than the mid-level this past season. So if they were making more than $12 million and they got cut by their team, you can't sign those players. And the teams that can't sign, for example, a Joe Harris, who was making $19 million and was cut, teams those teams would be the Warriors, the Clippers, Boston, the Suns, Milwaukee, the Nuggets, and Miami. They are all second apron teams. The Lakers, because they aren't a second apron team, they can sign anybody who gets cut, okay? On top of that, the one shrewd thing that Rob Palenka did this summer was he saved about $1.9 million of the mid-level exception. He didn't give it all to Gabe Vincent. 
He saved it for the sole purpose of being able to use that money to entice an incoming buyout free agent. And so at this juncture of the season, if you want to sign somebody, I believe you're only signing them for the prorated amount, right, for the rest of the season. It's, you're not going to get the full vet, min, full vet minimum. But the Lakers can actually offer somebody close to that. They can offer them $1.9 million. I believe starting today, it goes down to $1.6 million. But they can offer, the, offer any buyout guy that they sign more than most other teams can. So they've positioned themselves well for the buyout market. Uh, so while they didn't do anything at the trade deadline, they are posed to make some moves at the buyout market. Do you have... So the, the one popular name right now that's swirling around is Spencer Dinwiddie. Talk to me about Spencer Dinwiddie, whether or not you think that would be a good get for the Lakers. He is probably the most surprising guy who got bought out. Nobody saw that coming. And so the fact that the Lakers have positioned themselves well for the buyout market is actually a good thing. And this was a name that, you know, was even being floated around as a trade target. So if the Lakers can potentially get a Spencer Dinwiddie for free, then all the more it makes sense. But some other names to keep a lookout for would be Joe Harris, who got cut by the uh, Detroit Pistons, Robin Lopez, maybe Otto Porter. He's on the Utah Jazz. The Jazz may actually keep him because they might want to make a play and run. But yeah, Otto Porter, Marcus Morris, Evan Fournier, Danwell House, Danilo Gallinari, star Danilo Gallinari's name, Marcus Morris, Thaddeus Young, and surprisingly, former number seven lotto pick of the 2021 draft, Killian Hayes. But talk to me about the potential buyout list and and Spencer Dinwiddie. Uh, one quick comment on the list. If this was around the time we first started doing this podcast, Killian Hayes would probably have already been signed by, by us as a, a former lotto reclamation project That's true. that we uh, used to love to sign back then. Killian Hayes is going to sign with that type of team, right? Like that's yeah. the, that's what that guy's looking for. But to talk about Spencer Dinwiddie, I mean, yeah, I've actually never really been a big Spencer Dinwiddie fan. I've always thought he was, I mean, like when he Who first has? came up, I know <laughs> when he first came up with the nets, like, and he was this like unknown, you know, undraft or second round pick uh, out of Colorado. And, you know, he didn't really get a ton of time with the Pistons his first couple of years. And then he started to emerge with the nets and he was kind of exciting. And then I feel like he went from that to just being like supremely overrated. Very, very, very fast. He put up like, wildly inefficient numbers on like bad teams basically other than like i think he had one year when he was teammates with d'lo in brooklyn and they did they did okay um but you know he's he's just like you know for 20 million dollars i'm looking elsewhere this is like crazy too right like when you look at his contract what he was making and compare it to like what we signed d'lo for it's like it should put things in perspective for some fans but you know, if you can get him for free, this is pretty much like the best like 15 man signing that we could have hoped for when we kept this roster spot open. I mean, you look back at the previous years of who we were able to like get with this last roster spot. Obviously, Markeith Morris, that championship year helped us quite a bit. But then it's been guys like, you know, Andre Drummond. Um Honestly, I don't even remember who we signed last year, if anyone, after all those trades. But, but you know, it's always, like, it's always these, like, kind of un- uninspiring guys who you feel like you could have signed them for the minimum if they were available in the summer anyway. Spencer Dinwiddie is not a minimum player. 
he's like a legitimately a pretty good player. And if we can get him, like, especially on this roster that has like struggled so much with backup guard play with Gabe Vincent missing the entire season effectively, right? He's a guy who can give you like, I think he's a career over three to one assist to turnover ratio. He's had season where seasons where he's been like over four to one assisted turnover ratio. Mm-hmm. Um, as a secondary playmaker on a LeBron James team, especially off the bench for this team, that's incredible. And that's exactly what we need. He averages four free throws per game. He's had seasons of five, six, even seven free throw attempts per game. He gets the line very well and hits 80% on his career. And we all, you know, we all know his game and, and kind of like his ability to put pressure on the rim and his ability to take people off the dribble. The one thing that I think is interesting in the stats that I saw is how effective as an of, of an offensive player he is. Like, I know, you know, if you're like me and you have not watched a lot of Brooklyn Nets over the last uh, eight years, you've missed most of Spencer Dinwiddie's career, right? So just looking at the numbers, he kind of feels like an inefficient player. Um he actually ranks like by offensive metrics like very very well in terms of his efficiency and I think what it is is like he makes up for some of his inefficiency with his shot selection by getting to the free throw line and I guess the key is if he can cut out some of the inefficiency with his shot selection I think it kind of changes his game and makes him an even more effective player. I know it's like you can kind of roll your eyes at a comment like that and say like, okay, he's been in the NBA for 10 years and he has not done that yet. He's never like been on a good team though. You know what I mean? He's never been on a team where it's LeBron James and AD. There's like a laundry list of guys ahead of him who are going to get their looks before he gets his. He's averaging 10 shots per game this year, which is the lowest he's averaged since... I don't know. I'm looking back. It's like basically since the first season that he started consistently playing and starting. This is the lowest number of shots he's taken. So he's like trending in that direction already. And if you look at his catch and shoot numbers, like as a catch and shoot three point shooter, he's like over 40 percent. He's sub he's like well below league average as an off the dribble three point shooter. And unfortunately, he ends up taking a lot of off the dribble three point shots. But all of this is to say is, like, we're now nitpicking, like, kind of nonsense things about a guy who we could get for free, who's, like, fair marketplace, at least a 10 to $14 million player in this league. And so I think if you have a chance to do that, you just do it, and you don't think twice about it. And it sounds like he's very, very clearly, if you read through the lines of, like, the quotes from yesterday, he's very clearly, like, our number one target, and, and I'm hoping we can get him. Yeah, I agree with you. The only downside, and it's a big downside, Tommy, is that Spencer Dinwiddie in a vacuum, in a competent coach's hands, could be a very powerful tool. Spencer Spencer Dinwiddie in Darvin Ham's pocket hands could end up being a nuclear bomb that self-detonates on you and explodes the entire operation. So I think that's the biggest concern for people. We'll get there... We'll get to that point when we get to that point. Right now, the Lakers are banged up. They need all the help they can get. Um, And yeah, obviously, he doesn't fill the point of attack needs of this team, but you just hope Max Christie's ankle injury isn't that bad and he can rebound. Cam Reddish is coming back soon. Right now, the biggest thing for me is like, he just helps out those solo Austin Reeves minutes, you know, so that Austin Reeves can focus on being a scorer and not this like 
tug and pull of being a playmaker, of being a scorer, and then he's in no man's land turning the ball over. Like, no, Spencer Dinwiddie is the perfect in-between of all of that, and he is the best talent play on the buyout market. And so if you can get him, he's an LA native, you go and get him. Now, let's say we can't get Spencer Dinwiddie. Are there any other players on this list that you'd be intrigued by? For me, like, if we just need a vibes locker room sort of guy, like a Jared Dudley at the center position, I'd sign Robin Lopez up and then hope that he can also just be an impediment to, to Jokic. Uh, that probably not going to move the needle, but in terms of the vibes, Robin Lopez would be great. In terms of actual skill set, as we've mentioned before, a pure shooter like Joe Harris for 10 minutes a night would, I feel like, open things up a lot for the Lakers. And if you can't get Joe Harris, like... Danilo Gallinari would be great as well just to have, you know, yeah, we just need that Michael Porter Jr., even if it's like a Dollar Tree Michael Porter Jr. off the bench that we can go to, you know? So whether it's Danilo Gallinari or, or if Davis Bertans gets bought out from the Charlotte Hornets, I want a pure shooter that LeBron James can just toss it to. He can curl off a screen. Maybe he doesn't even need a screen, you know, like a movement shooter that can just knock down a shot in the vein of Matt Ryan, you know? But obviously Danilo Gallinari is more experienced. Davis Bertans is more experienced. Joe Harris is more experienced. So I would look at those types of guys guys and then you're gonna laugh at me but if we can't get Spencer Dinwiddie or any of those guys I would also give Evan Fournier a shot because he can actually handle the rock a little bit and be a steady sort of facilitator for you outside of the fact that he can do a lot of those like poor man's Goran Dragic-y type of things but yeah any other names stand out to you so I think most of the guys you listed I think I'd be interested in with the caveat that I think some of these guys you could be you, you you might be able to get on like a ten day contract if your top options don't like pan out. I think the thing that's dangerous about like targeting specifically a guy who's been like career known to be a movement shooter. I mean, Davis Bertans has had on an up and down years. His his last year with the Wizards, he shot. from three. His first year with the Mavs, he shot 36% from three. He's gotten it back up to his career numbers, um, you know, last season and and this season on much, much lower volume because he doesn't play. But, like, the scary thing about, like, going after a guy who's, like, one-dimensional like that, like Danilo, maybe a little less one-dimensional, but, like, you, you look at these guys' numbers, like, Joe Harris hasn't played this year. No one has any idea if he's cooked or not, right? Like, Davis Bertans played half a season last year, played a quarter of a season the year before, played less than half a season the year before that, has only played 15 games this year. Danilo Gallinari played a quarter of the season last year and has only played six games this year. Like, we have no idea what the state of these guys is, right? Like, if anything, on the list, if we want someone who has had a relatively recent history of stepping up in the spotlight and, you know, has that kind of killer mindset and, and you know, gets boosted up by playing with stars, I would look at Marcus Morris potentially. I mean, I don't think we really have a need for him either, <laughs> like, to be honest with you. But, like, it, that's, like, maybe somebody I would look at only in the sense that, like, yeah, he's struggled. Um, and I think part of that was... You know, he's getting older and he's probably with the at towards the end of his time with the Clippers, I think they were asking him to play like too many minutes. But this season, you know, he's playing 17 minutes a game. 
uh, for the for the Sixers, or had played 17 minutes a game for the Sixers, and is back up to 40% from three on two and a half attempts, so still making one a game. And even in his decline the last couple of years with the, the Clippers, he was, you know, shooting a high volume of threes, hitting above league average, 30, about 37%. So, you know, we don't necessarily need this dude to, like, you know play 20 minutes but if you're thinking about like a random guy who has is a vet and is, can come in cold-blooded and just hit some shots like to me Marcus Morris I would I'm taking my chances on him to hit you a shot in a playoff game or like a key game down the stretch over Danilo Gallinari at this stage okay. of their careers and and say and likewise Davis Bertans and like Marcus Morris might be cooked but like I would take if I need someone to defend someone one on one for one possession I'm taking Marcus Morris over Davis Bertans. I will push back on that a thousand percent just because I have too much PTSD from hearing Clippers fans just absolutely dying at. Ty Lue's overusage of Marcus Morris, and I could see the exact same thing happening with Darvin Ham and Marcus Morris. And I just watched Danilo Gallinari's 20 points with the Pistons last night where he had 20 points on four of six from three, and he still looks good to me. I would rather trust like a... I just want like... We need one of those Euro shooters, you know, who's also plays smart basketball. Um, this is just purely subjective and personal. I'd rather have Danilo Gallinari than Marcus Morris. But at this point, we're just nitpicking shooters, right? And if the Lakers can get any one of these guys, that would be great. I actually think if he still has any juice left, Otto Porter may be the best guy to get in terms of all the skill sets you need. Because even if he's cooked, he's 6'10". Like he, it seems like after he won the championship with the Warriors, he's like, I'm out everybody. And you never heard from him again. Um, uh, but again, it remains to be seen whether or not the Jazz will actually buy out uh, Otto Porter because if they have play in aspirations, which it seems like they might, you know, maybe they keep Otto Porter on. But he, if he's bought out, Otto Porter, I feel like are better is better than any any one of these guys if he's healthy and you can rely on him for 15 minutes because he he is like Torian Prince, but he is bigger, taller, longer than Torian Prince, and probably a more reliable shooter. So, and actually, I just saw a tweet from Eric Pincus where he just tweeted out that his gut says Dinwiddie chooses the Mavericks simply because they can pay him more than the Lakers can actually, and even after set off, he can earn twice as much in Dallas because of taxes. So, I don't know for for Dinwiddie, it'll be up to whether he wants to come back home or whether he wants to come back to a, a place that's familiar with the Dallas Mavericks. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But so yeah, maybe we should be putting more focus on guys like Joe Harris, Otto Porter, Marcus Morris, Danilo Gallinari. Um, but yeah, lastly, Tommy, to close this episode, we haven't even actually talked about the Lakers team. How do you feel about the team? I mean, this is the group that we're going to, we're going to ride with. Um, I, I've intimated it before, but I, I think this roster is much better than its record says. And we all know the problem is Darvin Ham and injuries here and there. But I think now that the dust has settled of the trade deadline and you don't have that cloud looming over guys' heads, I still do think that this is a good group of guys who believe that they can bounce back from adversity, who have shown multiple times, even in just the last year, that they have bounced back from stuff like that with their backs against the wall. They can embody that ethos and spirit that D'Angelo Russell has shown the last month or so when there was so much noise swirling around him about getting traded and 
questioning his his basketball play and whatnot. I think this team can wear all of that on their shoulders and really make a second half push provided that they get some more health luck on their side. But I do think they have something to prove. I do think they want the redemption from last year. And at the very least, whether you agree with it or not, I do like that we're going to get at least one year of seeing how continuity plays out. It may blow up in our face, but I'm just glad, Tommy, that the whole theme of this season was cohesion and continuity. And whether it was due to circumstances and not having trade partners or whatnot, we are in a position, Tommy, where we get to at least see a full year's worth of what bringing back a core rotation of players looks like. And I just want to see how that looks like, even if it doesn't pan out. So, yeah, your thoughts on this group of guys moving forward. I feel like about the same, honestly, as I did preseason. I think to your point, the record is not even close to what I would have expected. I thought we were going to be much better than this, right? But I, it, it's not like necessarily we came into the year thinking like we were for sure the number one seed in the West. Like we knew the Denver Nuggets were still going to be there. We knew the Clippers were you know, especially post Harden trade, the Clippers have been like amazing. I think the other teams, like it's surprising to probably everybody that the Timberwolves have been as consistently good as they are. It's surprising probably to most people that OKC has been as good as they are. But when you look at the rest of the West in a seven game series, I mean, you you can't say with certainty that we beat any of these teams, right? It's like the same thing as last year. It's like, you couldn't say with certainty we, we could beat any of those teams. It just, that's how it worked out. And I think we ha- you, we have a shot against Minnesota. We have a shot against OKC. We have a shot against Phoenix. Shot against the Pelicans, Kings, Mavs, Jazz. Those are the other teams, right, in the top 10 right now. The Nuggets and the Clippers, I would like to avoid. <laughs> if we make the playoffs, it would be ideal to avoid those two teams on the first round. Um, and I think we can hopefully do that if we can get into avoid the play-in. Because I think those two teams are going to end up the top two seeds. But, you know, like, my overall perspective has not changed. I still think this is, like, talent-wise, a top-four team in the West, or at least a top-five team in the West. And so it's just a matter now of, and I hate to jump on the excuse train with the injuries, but, like, we really do have to get these guys healthy. We need our rotations to be set more. The, unfortunately for all of us, we've wasted so much time this season messing around with like nonsense lineups and, and rotations that like never made any sense. And so now the fear is like we're five eighths through the season and, you know, we don't even know what our best line. I mean, we know what our best lineups are, but like I, when I say we, the front office, the coaching staff doesn't seem to like know what our best lineups are still. So There's definitely, like, wood to chop here, but if this team can just, like, focus on trying to get the 7 seed, the 6 seed, try try to avoid the play-in one time, um, you know, that that might be be helpful for our our postseason chances. I just, like, the thing about the Western Conference is, again, it's like one injury changes things, right? Like, Jamal Murray has missed some time this year with injury. If he's out, that is like that. The Nuggets are not going to win a championship, right? I'm not saying they're not going to go well or, or do well or, or go deep in the playoffs, but they're not winning a championship without Jamal Murray. One injury can change a lot of these teams. The Clippers lose one of their guys, right? Especially, and, and all three of them, especially the, the main two guys, have, have had injury problems. Phoenix is obviously like Bradley Beal is like a you know, one step away from like constantly injuring himself. So it's like, there are teams that 
you know, have some, uh, you know, a little bit of, of weaknesses that maybe we can exploit. So I feel okay overall about the team. I just, we need to get help now to help us in the short term. And then, you know, once April hits or, or excuse me, once March hits, we need to like, by that time we should theoretically have uh, Gabe Vincent back. Vando should be like on the way. Hopefully everybody else on the roster is, is healthy at that point. And, and that's like, we, we push at that point. Right. Yeah. I, I feel more than okay because maybe I'm naive. Maybe I'm foolish. Maybe this will all blow up in my face, but I really like this roster. I like the group of guys that were compiled. I don't know if you saw the D'Angelo Russell podcast with Anthony Davis, this is a group of guys that actually really like each other and I think believe in what they can do together. And uh, Tommy, I'm just glad that we didn't sell our third best player low, sell low on our third best player. You know, this could have gone a number of different ways. We could have panicked the way that we usually do. We could have, you know, caved in to crazy fans demands of doing something and we didn't. And we still have our third best player in D'Angelo Russell fourth on some nights. If Austin Reeves has it going, And I think this team has something to prove. D'Angelo Russell himself has something to prove. Fans are going to make the jokes all they want. You know, they made the jokes that D'Angelo Russell was ducking the Nuggets last night, which is insane. But they're going to make continue to make the jokes about D'Angelo Russell until he proves them wrong. Maybe he won't prove them wrong. But I'm just glad he gets the opportunity to find some redemption against the Nuggets. We might not even play the Nuggets, to your point. And, you know, we're nitpicking over something that hasn't even happened yet who we might not even face the nuggets in our run if we if we're fortunate enough to get there but i'm just glad that this group has a chance to right the wrongs from last season and i think that has intangible effects with regards to this group has tangible experience and lessons and a journey to fall back on that they all went through together that they can sort of channel when it comes time to actually take it into overdrive. And we've seen even this in this short amount of time when this team needs to take things into overdrive, if they've been healthy, they've been able to do it to a certain extent, you know? So I'm excited to yeah. see, continue to see that journey. And if you're worried about D'Angelo Russell, like, you know, since he's now comfortable about the trade deadline being over, his his play will regress. D'Angelo Russell is still playing for his next contract, even though he has a player option, you know? He still yeah. needs to ball the hell out. He wants to make money. He wants to have a home, you know, whether that's with the Lakers signing a new multi-year deal or playing so well that another team outbids the Lakers, you know? D'Angelo Russell needs to play well. So with that said... Go Lakers, go, go, go to Staples Center right now, go to Crypto.com Arena because the Kobe statue is up for everybody to take pictures with and look at and and gawk at. And so uh, I think I'm going to do, I think I'm going to go to a game next week, actually, or after All-Star Weekend. And uh, that'll be my first opportunity to see the new Kobe statue, which should be really cool. And hopefully by then the Lakers have strung together some wins. But yeah, with that said, calm down. Don't freak out. Uh, The Lakers will be fine. And uh, we will catch you next time. Tommy, see you later. Peace. Laters.
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.